0: Last year, Dave and Doug Tenson and I taught a new leadership class here at Orchard called The Way of Life. And in our last months together, through this eight or nine month class, we all read a book called God in the Alley, which was written by a pastor from an inner city church in Toronto up in Canada. And it was a church that mainly ministered to street people and prostitutes and drug addicts and folks who were very down on their luck. And we were just undone as we read the stories of God's grace and mercy and saving power in the midst of such human sadness. And so we thought it would be good for us to write this church a letter, to let them know how much their stories touched us. And some folks thought maybe we should take up a modest collection, we a more suburban church uh, with a few more resources, just as a small symbol of our gratitude for their sharing of their stories with us. So we suggested that people could just throw a buck or $5 or even at the most $10 in a basket, and then we would send them a check along with our thank you letter. We ended up with a $1,000. And I just cried, I have to be honest with you, at the sheer generosity that abides in the midst of this congregation. And it reminded me uh, of something that Shane Claiborne said, I was listening to him talk about generosity the other day, he's kind of a modern day Mother Teresa, or I guess I mean Father Teresa, since he's a guy, but he said, generosity cannot be mandated or legislated or forced. It must be provoked. I love that. And generosity in this instance with our class to this small inner city church wasn't forced. It was provoked by the stories we read of struggling people welcomed wholeheartedly into the kingdom of God by this little outpost church. We gave generously Because we heard stories that reminded us of the immeasurable generosity of God. And there is something in the human soul. It's buried deep in some of us, but it is there just like the beating of our hearts. We were made for more than just getting more for ourselves. We were made by a generous God to be generous, to be givers. To give our lives away to give our resources away and even to give our money away for the sake of others For we were made in the image of a god who gave himself away for his rebellious children Generosity cannot be mandated or legislated or forced. It must be provoked And that is what I hope to do a little bit of today Because what I don't want to do is to create guilt because I have learned In my relatively long life now that guilt is a terrible motivator Can I get a witness to this? It's just terrible and and the truth of the matter is over 70% of us Self-report that we already feel stressed about money So nobody wants to come to church and feel guilty about it, too, right? So let's just say these two words together right here ready. We're all going to say these together quite loudly No guilt Thank you very much No guilt, but generosity is not only strongly commanded in the scriptures for those who follow Jesus, but it is, as science is starting to confirm, actually good for us. It can lead to a kind of joy and freedom that simply hoarding money to ourselves can never buy. Now, we we know, don't we? I hope we know that our culture's views on money are skewed. Right? Then they're skewed intentionally to make us feel discontent with ourselves and what we have so that we can become good consumers. That is kind of what we are called to be by our culture. But God's word says something else entirely to us about who we are to become. It says that as God gives to us, so are we to give back to God through the church and into the world. And so that's what we're going to be exploring as a church for the next four weeks. We're going to unpack what the New Testament says about the power of having a generous heart. So this morning we're going to look at the very last chapter of the Apostle Paul's first letter to Timothy, creatively entitled, first timothy i always think that's fascinating couldn't they have drummed up something more interesting and this is a letter that paul the famous apostle wrote to timothy who was pastoring a church that paul had started in ephesus and this is filled with instructions to timothy about how to lead the church and in this very last chapter he closes with some strong practical teaching about generosity and i just want to read through a couple of these passages and talk together this morning about what the scriptures say about both contentment and generosity. So let's look at these words from the Apostle Paul and see if they might be relevant for us today. Let's start with verse 16. I mean, with verse 6. Uh, sorry, First Timothy 6, verse 6. Paul writes, But godliness, and that just means living the way that God lays out for us, godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. That's about the truest biblical statement I've ever read. Naked you came into this world, and semi-naked you will leave. <laughs> you have a few clothes on. Um, that's inappropriate. And, and Sorry, it just came into my mind, that picture. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But, he says, if we have food and clothing, which I would hazard to guess most of us do in here this morning... We will be content with that. And then he goes on to describe what can happen if we don't choose contentment. He said, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people. That is a picture of a person being plunged into some water and starting to drown, plunge people into ruin and destruction. Many of us know people, right? We've read about people like this in the newspaper or they're in our families or maybe even this is us. We've experienced or are experiencing ruin, it feels like, because of our financial situation. And then Paul says, for the love of money, notice he doesn't say money itself, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's pretty strong writing, isn't it? About the power of contentment and the danger of not living with contentment with the stuff that God has given us. Now, the word contentment that Paul uses in this section is actually translated as kind of um, something like self-sufficient, which doesn't mean I am the master of my own universe, but it means more this sense of well-being that doesn't have anything to do with my external circumstances. I know. It was funner at the beginning, wasn't it? (laughs) Contentment is this idea that we can have freedom in life, whether we live in prosperity or whether we live in poverty. Those things do not control my sense of myself. Paul says, the, the the book of Hebrews has some more writing about contentment. Hebrews thirteen five says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. And then the writer hooks it up with something. He says, for he has said, meaning God, I will never fail you nor forsake you. Contentment is actually a sign that we trust in God's good provision for us in life. And the crazy thing is, despite what our culture tries to sell us, contentment is something we can have at any time. You can literally choose to have it right now. Ready? Choose it. You got it. Right. We can learn to choose it. The Apostle Paul says in the in the letter to the church at Philippi in times of want and in times of plenty. Now, when Paul wrote this next passage, I want you to remember he was under house arrest. A little bit like some of these people who've possibly had Ebola in our country lately. They've been just stuck in their house. This was the Apostle Paul and he wrote these words. He says, actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. He's saying all this because of his relationship with Jesus. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. Because I've found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through in the one who makes me who I am. This is powerful stuff money does not make paul who he is godliness with contentment is great gain but our society is marked by what some call inextinguishable discontent i'm going to say that again because i like it inextinguishable discontent the writer of ecclesiastes said this whoever loves money never has enough Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. I read that and thought, wait, wait, when was this written? Was this written yesterday? No, this was written 3,000 years ago by King Solomon. And it's never been more true. Rich or poor, we are constantly discontent. We're addicted to this lie that more stuff or more money or more something will bring us satisfaction and happiness and even contentment. But that is not what God's word says is true. And so we have to work hard and work together to get this lie out of our head, even though we're bombarded with thousands of messages that tell us this is true every day. Contentment does not lie in our next purchase. It does not lie in one more zero on our paycheck It does not lie in a bigger home or a nicer car or a fatter wallet It does not lie in having more stuff We just had this super event where people were learning how to get rid of their stuff. It was stunning I was thinking about it. Have you ever noticed how much energy stuff takes? Especially when it breaks or wears out or needs attention which seems to be every day now to me. So recently we had this, I brought a picture of it. Chuck took a picture. Recently, I don't know if you can see that very well, but we had this huge tree limb fall into our yard. It narrowly missed our car. And we first of all had to drive our other car on the lawn to get it out of the garage for the day. Then we had to hire a tree service to come and, you know, clean that tree limb up because we couldn't quite handle it. Then we noticed that the tree had fallen on our post light and they brought a picture of that. It used to have a pretty lantern on it. That's gone. So we had to order another one because we thought that looks ugly in our yard. Like, look at the shires They have a black post in their yard. So we ordered another one, and it came. And then when Chuck opened it up and he was getting ready to put it on, it was broken. It was twisted. We couldn't use it. So we grumped around. We put it away. We had to decide, do we want to order another one, a different one, blah, 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 blah. This happens all the time, does it not? Just this week, because I'm teaching on contentment, my vacuum cleaner broke. It had a huge clog of dog hair in it, and I was cleaning it out, and then I turned it on to see if it worked, and it shot out this huge, big clog of dog hair. Yesterday, we were raking. I lost my prescription sunglasses. I don't know how. The lesson I've learned is don't vacuum or rake. That's what I learned. Stuff creates problems once we have the basics. And more stuff does not create contentment, it just creates more problems. Godliness, Paul said to Timothy, with contentment is great gain. And the world will tell us that the yearning for more that we possess in our hearts, because we all have it, God put it there, that the world tells us that yearning should compel us to gain material possessions in attempt to satisfy those desires, those desires for more but that is a rabbit trail of epic proportions. God wants the inner yearning in your heart to be a reminder instead that you will never be truly, deeply, finally satisfied until you are home with him. And so the next time you find yourself overwhelmed with a longing for something more, something better than what you have, a better house or car or job or body or family or spouse, a better church, that overwhelming yearning for something more, when you feel it, instead of running to the mall or clicking on the computer Instead, stop for a second and recognize that God put that yearning in your spirit and thank him that he has promised to satisfy you in eternity and simply whisper to yourself, I am not home yet. Because you guys, inextinguishable discontent can steal your life from you. While your life is happening, all you can think about is what you don't have and you miss all the gifts that God is putting right in front of you. The desire for more money and stuff can crush your soul and the love of money can bring about spiritual ruin and history tells us this is true. But as Richard Swenson said, the more we choose contentment, the more God sets us free. And the more he sets us free, the more we can choose contentment. And we can start to turn the momentum in that direction because Paul said, godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, the love of money and the constant desire for more is very dangerous. But at the same time, money... Rightly understood and used is not only good for providing for our needs, of course, but using it generously can also be one of the most powerful ways we serve and worship God and bless a broken world. Which ties into Paul's next point to Timothy in this chapter, uh, chapter 6. Starting, uh, I think, with verse 17. Paul writes this, Command those who are rich... In this present world, not to be arrogant. I want to stop right there for just a second. Command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant. This is, again, where the ancient scriptures are so accurate and relevant. I had this acquaintance maybe like 18 years ago who was very wealthy, and she loved to let me know how wealthy she was. So this was before the era of the cell phone. Do you remember this? (laughs) She had a car phone that you plugged in with some kind of a jack. This I'm just imagining this is what it looked like. But you guys, she would call me and she'd be like, hello, I'm calling you on my car phone. Just a minute, I have to plug in my car phone. I've got to go now because my car phone's out of batteries. Stunning to me. And can I just say more here for just a second about commanding those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant? Research is starting to show... That as a person becomes wealthier and wealthier, their feelings of compassion and empathy toward other people go down. They start to dissipate. And their feelings of entitlement, I deserve it, deservingness and self-interest increase. Paul, through God's Spirit, knew this to be true so long ago. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. He goes on nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Hello, economic crash of 2008. Right? We witnessed that as well. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And has he not done that for us for free in the last month here in Iowa with the changing of the colors? Oh, my goodness. Command them instead. He's talking to those who have resources, which is every one of us in this room. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The single most striking characteristic of the early christians was their never-ending generosity it was a huge reason that people flocked to the faith and i know ours is a different culture we live in a different place in a different time but we have issues with generosity we modern christians who live in the richest country ever known to mankind we just do i just read a study called passing the plate I guess we'd be passing the velvet bag at our church, but it was a study of Christian generosity in our current day and age. And I learned this, somewhere between a quarter and a half of all church attenders give nothing or next to nothing to the church. It's interesting, isn't it? 25 to 50% of us. And here's a doozy. About 5% of American Christians provide 60% of the money that churches and religious groups use to operate. What the writer of this study said is this means a small group of truly generous Christians are essentially covering for the vast majority of Christians who give nothing or quite little. In addition, and this was especially stunning to me, America's biggest givers as a percentage of their income are its lowest income earners. Because the richer we get, the less money we decide to give away as a percentage of our income. Perhaps it's because the rich are buying car phones so they can call me and tell me. I don't know. Now, I don't share these numbers with you this morning to feel guilty. Remember? We all said it. No guilt. But I'm sharing these numbers because I want to say to those of us not giving, to those of us who aren't really giving enough, to those of us who are letting other people carry the weight, we are missing out on one of life's greatest joys. I'm not lying to you. One of God's best strategies for human happiness and a sense of well-being Did you know that people who give 10% or more of their income away have lower rates of depression than those who give nothing or or much less? I I was fascinated by this. And that regular, disciplined, sustained giving, this doesn't mean throwing $1 in the pot and wondering why you don't feel happy. They're talking about regular, disciplined, sustained giving over time is correlated with greater life satisfaction, higher self-esteem, happiness, and even better physical health. I read a Harvard Business School study entitled, Spending Money on Others Promotes Happiness. And I was thinking, Newsflash! Harvard Business School is validating the teachings of Jesus. It's amazing. You and I were made... To trust in something bigger than our, for our happiness than the rush we get when we buy a big screen TV. You and I were made for a purpose larger than just the endless feeding of our own appetites. We were made for more than spending money we don't have on things we don't need and wondering why we're still miserable. The scriptures have shouted this for centuries. Again, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, the voice of God coming through the prophet. Why do you spend money on what is not bread, and you labor for what is not satisfied? We were made, Paul writes, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous. We were actually made for the privilege of partnering with God as he does his work of fixing and redeeming and restoring the world. And I can tell you that our church, your church, God's church here at Orchard, is more poised than ever to do this. And as I put this teaching together, I thought to myself, imagine what God could do as we... As a church body, all of us together moved away from the way of the world and what the world tells us about what can bring us happiness and contentment and more toward the way of the generous Jesus with our resources. Because you and I were created by God to be something more than simply consumers. The Pastor John Ortberg, I follow him on Twitter, which I feel kind of cool about, and and he tweeted the other day. He said, when you begin to practice generosity, you are swimming with the tide of the divine in the universe. He's saying, when you step into that pool, and I don't care what your income is, when you start to give some of it away for the good of the world, you are stepping in line with the power of God. It reminds me of this Jewish concept I've told you about before, but I'm kind of enamored with it this Jewish concept called tikkun olam, which is this idea of partnering with God to fix the world. And I was stunned to learn a little bit below what that means, kind of under the surface. In Judaism, in the Jewish faith, everyone is supposed to think of themselves as having more than they need. Even the poorest person is obligated by their Jewish faith to find someone in greater need and to share what he has with that person. And Doug's going to talk about this. Takun olam conveys this idea that if we as human beings are blessed with abundance it is only because God wants us to use it to figure out how to help others. And I was reading this about the Jewish faith and I was thinking these are our spiritual ancestors you guys and if you add Jesus and grace to this idea of Takun olam then Christians should be of all people in this world exploding with generosity. Just exploding with it. It should be our signature way of being in the world. This is why we are called to do good, as Paul wrote, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous. Not so that God can be mean to us. Not so that we can't have enough. We were created to be these things, you see not only so we can experience a deep sense of satisfaction and happiness, not only because they're like a vaccine against greed and hoarding and selfishness, but we were called to do these things because they set us up as partners with God in his work. And that is where true satisfaction and contentment can be found. We are always called to give. There's no other way around it if we read this book. I mean, you really cannot find a way around it. This is the call on our lives as we follow Jesus. But we do not do it out of guilt or compulsion, but out of joyful gratitude. We are provoked to give because we are undone by how much God has given us. Andy Stanley put it, so succinctly when he said God's extravagant generosity toward us compels us or I would say provokes us to be extravagantly generous toward others. So I just want to encourage us all this morning, wherever you are on this journey, some of us need to rethink our finances because maybe we've bitten off much more than we can actually chew. Some of us need to start the process of getting out of debt. And some of us need to simply take that first step of faith and say to God, you've been so generous to me. How can I be generous back to you by being generous to the church and to the world? Just begin this journey and stay on it. And God's word says, and now modern day social science is validating it. It's actually really good for you. Try it. Amen. God, in uh, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8, you warn the Israelites that when they get to the promised land and have beautiful homes and lots of food and olive oil and wine is flowing, you warn them, do not forget that you did not create this wealth for yourselves, but God did it for you. And then God has always said to the Jewish people, his chosen people, you are blessed to be a blessing. And through Christ now you say that even more profoundly to your followers today. If you are blessed at all by God, bless him back by beginning to practice both contentment and generosity. And I believe that God... We'll bless you, not necessarily monetarily, but in powerful, deep, satisfying, soul-satisfying ways. Thank you, God. You are so good to us. Amen.